Amen. Thank you, Sam and worship team. Well, I can, uh, I can chew and walk at the same time, but what I probably can't do is decorate a tree and preach at the same time. So I'm going to ask my lovely assistant to come. <coughs> this is uh, my granddaughter, Eden, nine years old, and she's going to help me out today. And uh, last year, we... Uh, we did this presentation, and I think it is a great way to celebrate Christmas. By the way, why do we have traditions anyway? Why do we celebrate past events? It's because we believe they were important enough for us to remember and to recall them to mind on a regular basis. And so I think it is wholly appropriate to uh, have a tradition and have our traditions that we have for Christmas because it says to us, this is special. That was a special time, and it, and it warrants being remembered and thought about. And so today I want to again celebrate with you the Jesse tree. The Jesse tree is a Christmas celebration that is said to be over 1,000 years old, that it goes back uh, uh, into the Middle Ages and was very popular in uh, Christian art. And uh, the Jesse tree is based upon Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, where it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Living Bible puts it this way. The royal line of David will be cut off, chopped down like a tree, but from the stump will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch from the old root. And so I have this, not yet, I have this pitiful little Christmas tree here today, that uh, closely, I think, resembles a stump. Because um, it tells us, again, that the royal line of the house of David will be cut off, chopped down like a tree. But, after this, but from that stump will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch from the old root. Speaking, of course, of the coming of Christ in his advent. And Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 and 15 says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. So the stump that was coming to an end would bring forth a new shoot and new life, and that would be, uh, if Jesus, uh, come out, it would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So throughout this presentation, we're going to go back and trace, um, trace God's working through history, through his people, to bring forth his son, Jesus Christ. Okay, first ornament. Our first ornament is a um, picture of the earth, and it represents God's creation of the universe of, and earth. As we all know, Genesis 1-1 says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, speaking of Jesus Christ, all things were created both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. And all that God made, he saw that it was good. 
So Jesus is the word of God through whom all things were created. And the earth symbol reminds us of everything that he has created to bring honor and glory to him. Our second ornament. Well, we know the story that it wasn't long after God created the heavens and the earth that he created man, Adam and Eve. We remember that we recall the story of how that God gave them instructions that they were not to eat of the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We know the story that they did, that they disobeyed God, and we're going to, uh, we're going to give in to pop culture today and use the picture of the apple to, um, to talk about the forbidden fruit that Adam and Eve took, partook of. I personally don't believe it was an apple. I like apples. I have nothing against apples. But we know that Adam and Eve um, listened to the temptation of Satan and brought a curse upon all of creation. And all that God had created that was called good now came under the curse of, of, uh, of sin. And uh, it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God in speaking to the serpent, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ will all be made alive. So this fruit reminds us of Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden. We remember that all have sinned, but in that same, at that same time, we remember God's promise that Jesus offers forgiveness for our sins and gives us new life in him. And we know that Adam was a great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. Ornament number three. We know that the descendants of Adam and Eve continued in their sin and disobedience. Genesis chapter six tells us that the wickedness of man was so great in the earth that every intent and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, that God was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And so God made a decision that he was going to blot man out from the earth. And so we know the story of the flood and how that God chose one man and his family to save the human race and to save that promised bloodline that was to come in Jesus Christ. So God sent a flood on the earth that destroyed all of mankind. But we also know that when the flood abated and dry land appeared again, that God made a covenant. <coughs> Excuse me. God made a covenant with Noah and his sons in which he said that he would never again destroy mankind through a flood. And he gave them the sign of the rainbow. And every time we see a rainbow around us, we should be reminded that, uh, that God made this promise that he would never again destroy this earth by a flood. Our next ornament uh, reminds us of Abraham, formerly known as Abram, and how that he, as a descendant of one of the sons of, uh, of Noah, uh, Shem's bloodline, that God made a promise to this man, Abram, and he said to him, he said, go outside and look towards the heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be, that he believed in the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So this was particularly amazing at this particular time because we know, we remember that Abraham was an old man and his wife had never had children. It was, uh, it was an impossible, impossible dream as far as they were concerned. <coughs> but God said that he would, uh, he would cause Abraham to be the father of a multitude. And so he changed his name to Abraham. And so the starry sky reminds us of God's promise to Abraham. And he is also a great, 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 you get the idea, grandfather of Jesus. 
Our next ornament is the ornament of a ram. And this too also involves Abraham. Because uh, true to his word, God did give this old man and his wife who had never had a child, he did give them a child. Uh, Sarah gave birth to Isaac. And we know that as Isaac grew up, that God came to Abraham and he said, I want you to take your son, your only son. It wasn't his only son as far as uh, his bloodline, but he's the only son of, his, of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And he said, I want you to offer him to me on the altar. And so Abraham, if he was anything, he was obedient. And so he took this beloved son, and he took him to the mountains, to Mount Moriah. He uh, packed up the wood, took everything he would need for this sacrifice, and took his son to the mountain. And when they got there, he built an altar, laid the wood on the altar, and then he took his son, bound him on the altar, and as he was about to bring the knife down, God stopped him and said, Stop. And now I know that you are not going to withhold your only son from me. Do nothing to him. For now I know that you, that you fear God, and you will not withhold your son, your only son, to me. And so at that time, Abraham looked to the side, and he saw a ram that was caught in the thicket. And so he took that ram, and he... Um, placed that ram on the altar and sacrificed him instead of his son. And uh, this episode is an illustration of how God himself would provide his own sacrifice for our sins, his son Jesus. And it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, uh, who he had received the promise, was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God was able to raise people from the dead, even from, from which he had also received him back as a type. And so I learned there that, that Abraham believed that even if he had sacrificed his son, that God would bring his son back to life because he said it will be through Isaac your descendants shall be called. And so we see the faith of Abraham willing to give up his son uh, on behalf of us. And Isaac Isaac is a great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. Ornament number six is, an, is a ladder because we're reminded that in time that Isaac grew up and he uh, took a wife, was married, and he also had uh, children. And he had two, uh, two sons, Jacob and Esau. And God had determined that he would he would send his promised son through the, through the bloodline of the youngest son, who was Jacob. And um, some months ago, we did a presentation here about Jacob. It's such a touching story of how God used that rascal to accomplish his purpose. And Jacob was not going to get away from God fulfilling God's purpose in his life. And, um, and so after stealing his brother's birthright and fleeing for his life, uh, this this uh, ornament pictures a ladder that reminds us of the time that as Jacob was running for his life that God gave him a dream. In Genesis chapter 28 verses 10 through 12 says, Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and he lay down in that place. He had a dream and behold a ladder was set on earth. With his top reaching to heaven, behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending. So Jacob, as one of the great, great, great grandfathers of Jesus, dreamed of angels walking up and down the ladder between heaven and earth. And, it, and Jesus referred to that dream 
during his time here and described how he is, he is the connection. He is the ladder between earth and heaven. Ornament number seven is, uh, is a, a picture of a multicolored coat. And this reminds us of one of the sons of Jacob, who became known as Israel, Joseph, who was Jacob's favorite son. We know the animosity and jealousy that developed among his, uh, his, his 11 brothers and how that it became, it became violent. And they took him and they sold him to some passing traders and told his father that he had been killed by wild animals. And how that Joseph was taken down into Egypt as a slave and was sold as a slave to Potiphar. Uh, and, he, um, and how while he was over in, or in charge of Potiphar's house that he was falsely accused, uh, accused of sexual misconduct and how that he went to prison. And while in prison, God blessed him and he was able to interpret the dream of a couple um, uh, prison mates there. And uh, in time... Uh, one of those uh, went back to serve the king and was able to, rem to remind the king of that episode, and, the, and Joseph was brought to interpret the, uh, the Pharaoh's dream, and um, how that uh, Joseph was exalted by God through that whole episode, and he became the second in the land of Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh, and how that God used him to preserve the Egyptians for a time of famine that was coming. Well, it wasn't just Egypt that had that, that experienced that famine, but also the neighboring lands as well. And so uh, Jacob's, or Joseph's father uh, and brothers, Jacob and his sons, were experiencing famine as well, and they heard that there was food in Egypt. And so they went to Egypt to see if they could get some food. And, uh, and during that whole story, you know that you remember the story of how that, that uh, Joseph did in time reveal himself to his brothers, they didn't know who he was at first, but how he revealed himself to his brothers. And in Genesis chapter 45, verse 5, it says, he said to them, now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me here before you to preserve life. And then in chapter 50, verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to, present, to preserve many people alive. And we know that Romans chapter 8, we could say this is our Joseph verse. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So even though Joseph was sold into, his, into slavery, God eventually made him a leader and used him to save his brothers and his families from starvation. And so this quote reminds us that as Joseph was a savior to those to his family, Jesus offers salvation to all of us. <clears throat> Our next ornament is the cup. And this represents uh, one, of the, um, one of the people that uh, was descended from Jacob and his sons, not from Joseph, but uh, from Jacob. And, and we know that from the story that uh, while Joseph did save Egypt during this time, that there came a time after a passage of several hundred years, almost 400 years, that all that Joseph had done for the nation of Egypt became forgotten. And there rose a Pharaoh that didn't remember who, who uh, Joseph was and how that instead of being appreciated, that all the descendants of, of uh, Jacob, of Israel, became slaves in the land. And so uh, they cried out to God because of their 
uh, of the burden that they were bearing. <coughs> and so um, God, saved, uh, God saved them by sending them a deliverer in the, in, in the person of Moses. And we know the story how that God sent several plagues to Egypt and how that Moses came along and, and, uh, and uh, uh, dealt with all of those and, and asked Pharaoh to let God's people go and how Pharaoh refused. But then on that night, finally after the death of his own son, Pharaoh agreed to let them go. And so on the night before they were to leave, God commanded them to observe the first Passover, which our communion table is, is, uh, is an extension of that. And Exodus chapter 12, verse 21 through 24, it says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a, a bunch of hyssop and dip it in blood, which is in the basin, and apply it to some of the blood that is in the basin, to the lintel and to the door, two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through, the, uh, through to smite the Egyptians. Then he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts. Then the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come to your house to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children. And so this cup reminds us that Jesus is our Passover, that when God sees his blood, he will pass over us in judgment. And his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. We're not done with Moses yet, though, because our next ornament uh, is, uh, is an ornament of the Ten Commandments. Thank you, Wendell. You are a good brother. When they came out of Egypt, they were a slave nation. And they had been slaves for a generation. And their mentality had become that of slaves. They were not free men. They were used to having someone tell them exactly what to do. When they could get up, when they could go to bed, when they could do this, when they could do that, they had to do what everybody else told them, what their, their, their taskmasters told them to do. So not only was Moses their deliverer from slavery, but he was also their lawgiver. And so Moses, uh, Moses didn't make up these laws. We know from the scriptures that God gave these laws to Moses and that these tables remind us that even though we have all disobeyed by breaking God's commandments, Jesus lived a perfect sinless life so that we're able to be forgiven. And so again, we see God's deliverance for us. Ornament number 10 is a depiction of a horn. And this ornament is to remind us of Ahab, Rahab, I should say who was an innkeeper in the city of Jericho. Moses had passed from the scene. Joshua was now the leader of the children of Israel, and they were about to go into the promised land that God had, made, had given to them. And so um, <clears throat> Joshua sends two spies into uh, Jericho to check out the situation, and somebody reports to the king that there's two spies at Rahab's inn, and so he sends somebody there to arrest them. But Rahab hides them from detection and assists them in escaping. Rahab realized that Jericho was going to be defeated and asked the spies to spare her and her family uh, as she had spared their lives, and they gave her their word. And so when it came time to uh, come up against the uh, city of Jericho, the Israelites surrounded the city, marched around it for six days, and then on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times and blew the trumpets or the horns. And you know the story of how the, how the walls fell flat and they went in and conquered the city. 
But true to the promise, Rahab was, was, uh, was spared. And though um, she was a foreigner, she believed in the one true God. And so this horn reminds us how God protected her when Joshua's men blew their horns and the walls of Jericho fell flat. And she has the honor. She has the honor of being one of the great, 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 you get the idea, grandmothers of Jesus Christ. Our next ornament is, uh, uh, is a sheaf of uh, grain. And uh, just as after uh, Rahab was res rescued from the destruction of Ju uh, Jericho, she became a part. She was assimilated into the nation of, of Israel. And as a result, she married an Israelite man of the tribe of Judah by the name of Salmon. Uh, and Salmon and Rahab had a son by the name of Boaz. And during the same time, there was another man who was, who was distantly related to Boaz by the name of Elimelech. And Elimelech uh, and his wife Naomi lived in Bethlehem, and they had two sons, Malon and Chilion. But because of a severe famine, uh, Elimelech took his household, his wife and his sons, and moved uh, to the neighboring land of Moab, hoping to be able to sustain life. While in Moab, we know that Elimelech died, and uh, then his two sons uh, married two Moabite women, uh, Ruth and, and Oprah, Oprah, Orpah. And, um, and then after another uh, several years, Malon and Chilion also die, leaving three widows. And so Naomi decides that she wants to return to her native land. And so she bids her two Moabite daughter-in-laws goodbye and prepares to leave. But Ruth will not leave her. Orpah goes back to her people. But Ruth, she says to her, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you from me. <clears throat> By the way, I remember my parents telling me that those were part of the marriage vows that my mother took for, uh, to my dad. Um, and, uh, and it came originally from this uh, commitment of Ruth to her mother-in-law, Naomi. But they do return to, uh, to Israel and to Bethlehem. They are, uh, they are two poor widows. But uh, uh, Naomi instructs her daughter-in-law to go work in the fields of this distant relative of her husband of, uh, by the name of Boaz. And so uh, she goes, Ruth goes in to pretty much do the, uh, what they did for welfare in that day, and that was to let people glean the, uh, the extra in the field. Well, while she's gleaning in uh, Boaz's field, uh, she catches Boaz's eye. You know what I mean, right? Well, the result of that, was, of that physical attraction was that Boaz comes and marries Ruth. And, uh, and as a result, because, uh, because of uh, Elimelech being his, uh, his relative, he becomes what is called the kinsman, the relative redeemer of Ruth and her mother-in-law. And so um, Rahab, just as Rahab, who was a Gentile woman in the genealogy of Jesus, so Ruth... Um, she marries Boabs, Boaz, she, uh, uh, she has a son, her son's name is Obed, and Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. And so Ruth is another Gentile woman who is in the genealogy of Jesus. 
Ornament number 12 is the stump that we started out with, uh, or that we talked about in the beginning, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall come out of his roots. And uh, again, what we read in Jeremiah, where it says that he will raise up uh, from this stump of Jesse uh, for, to the, for the house of David. And so it was prophesied that a righteous branch would come from the family of Jesse. And Jesse is a great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. And this stump reminds us of the promise God fulfilled through the family of Jesse. The next ornament is a staff. And uh, God directed Samuel, the prophet, to anoint David the, uh, king after his rejection of Saul for his disobedience. And it tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that Samuel took a horn of oil and uh, poured it upon David to anoint him as king. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 24, it says, My servant David will be king over them, and they will have one shepherd, the shepherd's staff that we, is our ornament, and they will walk in his ordinance and keep my statutes and observe them. And so David, the son of Jesse, was a shepherd whom God made king, and the staff reminds us of our for, forever king Jesus, who calls himself our good shepherd, who brings us back to himself. And David was a great, great, great grandfather of, of Jesus. The next ornament is that of a crown, and that reminds us of David's son Solomon, who was the one who uh, built the temple, and God blessed him, and God made a commitment to David concerning his son and his posterity, and Solomon was another great-great-grandfather of Jesus and became, father, or became king after his father David, and the crown reminds us of God's promise to David that his rule would never end, and so promises fulfilled in David's descendant, King Jesus, who reigns forever. Our next ornament is tongs, and this reminds us not of one of the people in the bloodline of Jesus, but it reminds us of one of the prophets. And we want to make mention of the prophets because they were important in, the, um, in God's dealings with Israel. We know that, uh, that there came a time when Israel split into two nations, Judah and then also the house of Israel. The southern tribe was Judah, the northern tribe was Israel and how that both of them at various times in their history departed from God, and how that God sent the prophets to, um, to bring them back, to, to woo them back to him. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah talks about the time when he had a vision of the Lord and how an angel came and took, tongue, took tongues and pulled a coal from off the altar, a hot coal, and placed it on his tongue. And he said, uh, he said, um, uh, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But after the seraphim had call, come and, and touched his tongue with the hot coals, uh, he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. God, uh, is, uh, Isaiah saw God in all of his glory and realized he was a sinner. The tongues with a piece of coal remind us that we are all sinners, and Jesus gave his life as a final sacrifice for us. <clears throat> the second prophet we want to mention is one we, I'm sure we all know. And uh, this is, uh, the ornament is that of a fish. It's a story that we all know from childhood. We know how Jonah tried to escape from God's directive and uh, tried to get away from God by taking a ship to uh, the other direction to get away from God, and how that God sent a great fish and uh, Jonah ended up in the sea, the, the great fish swallowed him, and Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. And, um, and finally, Jonah comes to his senses, he repents, tells God he'll do what he told him to do, and uh, he does. But Jonah becomes an important story be for us because 
During his ministry, Jesus uh, used Jonah as an example of himself. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, verses 38 through 41, it says, Then some of the Pharisees and scribes said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given but that of the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up against this generation at judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So jo Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, and Jesus used that to describe how long he would be in the tomb using that very familiar story. Our next ornament is a tablet. And this uh, reminds us of um, the parents of John the Baptist. There was a period of 400 years of silence from the closing of the Old Testament to the opening of the New Testament. 400 years of prophetic silence. There were no uh, inspired books written during that time. But that doesn't mean that God wasn't still working. God was still working through his people, Israel and uh, Judah. And um, there were many things that took place that really set up the New Testament. There, were the, uh, there was the time of the Maccabees who fought for the purity of God's people and others. Alexander the Great, though not a, not a godly person by any means, in his quest to, to conquer the world, um, actually prepared the way for the spreading of the gospel when Jesus came. During that time, we see the emergence of the Pharisees and Sadducees that we see so much in the New Testament. But we enter the New Testament times, and we, as we begin to encounter the Christmas story, we see that God sent an angel to an old couple like Abraham and Sarah, uh, except this was uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a uh, priest, and as he was ministering to the Lord in the, in the uh, temple, an angel appeared to him and told him that he and his wife would have a son um, and that he should uh, call him John. And uh, this tablet reminds us that Zacharias was struck dumb by the angel when he didn't believe what the angel said, what the angel was telling him. But after the birth of his son, John, who was to prepare the way of the Lord, he wrote on a tablet that his name was John and had been directed uh, as he had been directed and he was able to speak once again. And so this tablet reminds us of John, John's birth. Then our next ornament is that of a picture of a grasshopper or a locust. Um, and there were many Old Testament prophecies concerning this next person, John the Baptist. He was called a voice calling. He was called my messenger. Uh, he, was, uh, he was to be sent before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so the Gospel of Mark tells us that John was a fulfillment of all these uh, Old Testament prophecies concerning him. And the scripture tells us that John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leathern belt around his waist and his diet was locust and wild honey. <clears throat> and so we're reminded again of John the Baptist who came to prepare the way of the Lord. Our next ornament is that of a lily. A lily represents purity, the purity of a virgin, and reminds us of Mary, the young maiden chosen by God to be the mother of his son. Remember, our God said to, the, to Satan, the serpent, that it would be the seed of the woman, indicating a virgin birth, clear back in Genesis. Um, Isaiah prophesied that a pregnant virgin would be the sign, of God's, a sign to God's people. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. 
And we know the story of how the angel appeared to Mary and, and announced to her that she would be the bearer of God's son. And unlike Zacharias, who didn't believe what the angel said and was struck dumb, I love what Mary said. She said at this announcement, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be to, done to me according to your word. And so the lily represents, the pure, represents purity. God's used, God used Mary, who was a virgin, to fulfill the prophecy from Isaiah about the coming Messiah. Our next ornament, and we want to make brief mention of uh, Joseph, who was not the biological father of Jesus. God was his biological father, but he was the legal father of uh, Jesus. And so Joseph the carpenter, <coughs> who used a hammer <coughs> in his carpentry work, uh, we celebrate his obedience to God's command to not put Mary away as he first, first thought of doing, uh, but to care for her as the mother of God's son. And so the hammer reminds us of Jesus' uh, earthly father, Joseph. Joseph was a carpenter by trade, and he also was a descendant of King David. Our next ornament is the ornament of a baby, and of course we know that this represents Jesus Christ. We know that uh, God had promised his son through many prophecies in the Old Testament, too many for us to enumerate at this point. But we know that, uh, that there was a census that was taken and how that, uh, because of that census that Joseph took Mary, his engaged wife-to-be, to Bethlehem. And while she was there, that the time came for her to give birth uh, to her son, Jesus, and that she, he was laid in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. And so the baby reminds us that God is with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was born to rescue us from our sin. Our next to the last ornament is that of a lamb because our Christmas story is not complete without uh, talking about the shepherds and uh, how that the shepherds in the area around Bethlehem were visited by a heavenly host that made a proclamation to them, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And how that the shepherds said, let's go and see this thing for ourselves. And so they didn't just take the angelic word, though I think if an angel appeared to me, I might be convinced. But they went to Bethlehem, and they found Jesus, and they, and they bowed and worshipped him. And it tells us that Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in the heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. And so their lamb reminds us of the shepherds who found baby Jesus in Bethlehem. And then our last ornament to top our tree is the star. And it represents the magi uh, who came seeking the, the Christ child and how that the, uh, the kings of the east saw a star and knew that it was of great significance. And so they followed that star to where it came and over the place that, uh, that Mary and Joseph and the child were. And it tells us that when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell on the ground and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and, frankincense and, and myrrh. And it's most appropriate that at this time of year that we exchange gifts uh, in celebration as the uh, wise men did. A star led the wise men to Jesus, and when they saw him, they bowed down in worship and presented him with gifts. This Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, who was and is the greatest gift of all. Amen? Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story, the story of Christmas, which is, as we have seen, is his story, is history. 
We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your son, Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to do special things, to celebrate, to remind us of what you have done for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.